Mommy told me something a little child should know. It's all about the devil and the way he hates us so. She said he causes trouble when you let him in the room. He will never ever leave you if your heart is filled with gloom. So let the sun shine in, face it with a grin. Smilers never lose, and frowners never win. So let the sun shine in, face it with a grin. Singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I saw it. You saw it. Fifty students and sons of the prophets saw it. Such a thing cannot happen. Yet it did. Impossible. Beliefs, impossibilities. Nothing can change facts. We saw Elijah leave the ground, go straight up in the air, and disappear in the clouds. It's a fact. So you have to believe oh, that. Yes, I saw Elijah disappear heavenward. I believe that. But you said you don't believe. Well, the thing I don't believe is that Elijah disappeared into the clouds on his way to heaven. Oh, no one believes that. Well, Elisha does. And so do a few of our fellow students. But everyone knows the only way to heaven or to eternal destruction is through death and the grave. Nothing can change that fact. Not even Elisha. Oh, God can. He did with Enoch. Then you believe Elijah went to heaven? Oh, no, no, emphatically no. Right. You're right. I'm right. The people are right in believing that Elijah did not go to heaven. You and I, as sons of the prophets and students in the school of the prophets, we have a duty. We must perform it. 
Meaning? Find out where Elijah actually went. Then tell the people. Let them know the truth. First, we'll go to Elisha. Just us? The two of us? No. All 50 of us will go. The 50 that stood afar off and actually witnessed what happened. I cannot give my permission or lend my support to such a mission. But we, and the people, want to know what happened to Elijah. I've already told them. Explain the whole thing to them. But they don't believe you. They're laughing, mocking, ridiculing the idea that Elijah went to heaven. The answer is no. You claim that the mantle you now wear that was Elijah's is a symbol of prophetic office? God has seen fit to let me take Elijah's place. As yes. long as the people don't believe that God took Elijah, do you think they will believe you, even listen to you? They laugh at you. Scorn you. Ridicule you. Make fun of you. You, you have no influence at all. None whatsoever. You'll be insulted on every side. Even the women and children have no respect or All right, in... all right. You 50 men may search the land, search every mountain, valley, crevice, everywhere. But ye shall not find Elijah. For truly the Lord God of Israel hath taken him by chariot into heaven. Then went the fifty men and searched for Elijah throughout the land. Three days they searched. We found not Elijah. Ah, surely the Lord God of Israel hath taken him by a chariot of fire into heaven. The people of Israel still did not believe that God had taken Elijah home to heaven or that the youthful Elisha was now God's chosen prophet. Nonetheless, when God let certain calamities befall Israel, they came straightway to Elisha. Greetings, O great and mighty one chosen of God. Jericho is a beautiful and pleasant city as thou seest, but we have no water to drink. The water of the spring has turned bad, and even the crops do not grow right. Our people are thirsty, our children are crying and sick, even unto death. Ah, uh, uh, if thou hast compassion for Israel, for Jericho, help us, we pray thee. Bring unto me an earthen pot, one that has never been used, and put therein some salt. Here you are, mighty prophet of God, a new pot filled with salt. And Elisha went forth unto the spring and cast the salt into it, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. The water shall flow forever. There shall never be any death or barren land nearby. That spring, even to this day, gives its pure waters, making of the surrounding countryside a virtual oasis. Some people believed. Others were still unbelievers. Among the latter were young folk and children. The young prophets of Israel. The lesson for today shall be the... What, what, what? Did you hear what happened? Shut the door. But there were... Shut the door! Now, will you listen to me? About what? The children, the bears, and Elijah. The children, the bears, and Elisha? 
What about the children and Bears and Elisha? Forty-two of them were torn. Forty-two. Bears? No, children. Two bears tore 42 children. And Elisha? Oh, no, no, no. He wasn't hurt. He caused the whole thing to happen. He caused the two bears to tear 42 children? If this is true, he must have had a very good reason. He cursed the children and the bears. Elisha wouldn't curse. Well, I mean he pronounced a curse on them. Oh, that's different. Go on. Well, I talked to one of the older survivors, and he said that all they were doing was uh, a shouting at Elijah, and he, he just didn't like it. What were they shouting at Elisha? Did the boy tell you that? Uh, uh yes. Uh, I, uh, well, they were shouting, Go up into the heavens, thou bald head. Oh, these young people. Do you realize what they were actually doing and saying? Mm, yes, uh, having a little fun, I suppose. They were making fun of Elisha's contention that Elijah had ascended into heaven. They were mocking a prophet of God. They were showing disrespect for authority. In ridiculing a representative of God, they were, in effect, ridiculing God himself. Had Elisha allowed this mockery to go unnoticed or unpunished, he would have continued to be ridiculed for the rest of his life, and his influence would have been impaired. His mission to instruct and save Israel in a time of grave national peril might have been defeated. This one instance of severe punishment for a grave sin against God and the authority of his anointed will probably be enough to command respect for the rest of Elisha's life. And it was so. For 50 years, Elisha went in and out of the cities of Israel. He went to and fro in the land, passing through crowds of idle, rude, dissolute youth. But none mocked him or made light of his qualifications as the prophet of the Most High. Shh, here's Elisha. Good afternoon, Elisha, sir. Good afternoon, sir. We'll continue the Bible story tomorrow, and if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Hi, Mr. Habib. Well, hello, Mariam. What brings you to Habib's Fruit Market today? I'm doing a report for school about people in my town, and I'd like to ask you some questions. Okay. First, why are you here? I'm here to sell fruit. You want some mangoes? They are very good this season. I mean, why are you here in this country? I've seen pictures of where you were born. It's very beautiful. Oh, yes. Very beautiful. And the fruit, delicious. Then why did you leave that country and come to this one? Did you want to make more money? Not exactly. I could make money in my home country. Everyone loves fruit. So why did you leave? Because in my country, there was something missing. What? The freedom to be who I want to be. Even if what I want to be is different from everyone else. I want to follow my own way and raise my children to do the same. That's very important to me. Do you understand? So who do you want to be? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to find out. But here I can try. I carry my fruit market and talk to people about many things and worship in the way I choose to worship. If I don't want to worship, that's okay too. And my children can go to school and become whatever they want to be. That's freedom. It lets you be you, whatever that is. Well, I'm glad you're here. You're a nice man. <laughs> 
There, you see? That's one of things I want to be. A nice man. It's working. Jesus wants to be our friend. He has placed in our hearts a desire to share our deepest secrets and brightest hopes with Him. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. you've joined me today for another story just for you. Do you like visiting museums? Have you ever been in a museum of children's art? What if your museum were showing a collection of paintings of children and one of the pieces was mysteriously missing? That's what happens to Sammy and Ginny in this new shoebox kids mystery. Along the way, Sammy learns that helping others is part of what it means to be a Christian. Chapter 7. Caught. Just what do the two of you think you are doing, Mrs. Sheckley asked, stepping toward Jenny and Sammy. Jenny and Sammy stood suddenly, their backs to the hole they were trying to patch. Startled, Sammy was speechless, and Jenny felt her face burning. Oh, hi, Mrs. Sheckley, Jenny stammered. Mrs. Sheckley stopped and looked at Jenny up and down. You look like you've healed, she said. How are you feeling? Jenny relaxed when Mrs. Sheckley changed the subject. I feel fine, thank you, Jenny said. You told me to come back and visit you. And so you did, Mrs. Sheckley said. She bent her neck, trying to see what Jenny and Sammy hid behind them. Now, back to my original question. What are you two doing out here? Jenny and Sammy looked at each other, then shrugged. They stepped back so Mrs. Sheckley could see the boards, nails, hammer, and hole in the porch floor. We, we felt bad about the hole, so we wanted to come over here and fix it, Sammy said quietly. 
I told you not to worry about that old porch, Mrs. Sheckley said, but if you felt so bad about it, why didn't you ask me first? We wanted it to be a surprise, Jenny said. Mrs. Sheckley paused and thought, you were the ones who raked the leaves and cleaned the windows. Jenny and Sammy nodded. With some friends, Sammy added. Why, you sweet dears, she said more to herself than to Jenny and Sammy. Just a minute, and I'll get my purse and pay you something for your work. Jenny held up her hands and shook her head. No, no, please don't do that. We did it because the shoebox kids are Christians. Christians do good things for people, and we especially wanted to do something good for you. Mrs. Sheckley backed up a step. Me? Why me? Jenny took a deep breath. Because you looked like you needed a few friends, and we wanted to be friends with you. Sammy nodded. Friends do things for each other. Mrs. Sheckley blinked and looked like she didn't know what to say. The three of them stood looking at each other. Suddenly, the silence was broken by a howl. Rawr! The howl came from behind the two kids. Sammy jumped a foot in the air, and Jenny let out a squeak of fear. Oh, kids, relax, Mrs. Sheckley said, shuffling forward in her house slippers. It's just dragon. Dragon? Sammy mouthed to Jenny. What's a dragon, he said out loud. Dragon's just a silly old cat, Mrs. Sheckley said, reaching into the ivy behind them. She pulled out a huge yellow ball of fur and drew the cat to her chest. That must have been the cat we saw when we came here the first time, Jenny said. Dragon's been out all night, and I'm sure he's hungry, said Mrs. Sheckley. She looked up. How about you two? Are you hungry? I can make some pancakes. Jenny grinned at Sammy. Sammy grinned back. Sure, why not? I think I have room for a couple of dozen. In the kitchen, Mrs. Sheckley made pancakes in an old iron skillet on her antique stove while Dragon ate his breakfast in the corner on the floor. Sammy sat at the old table and looked around. Wallpaper curled off the walls in the corner. A yellowed calendar on another wall was dated March 1979. Bits of food lined the floor around the stove and refrigerator. He cringed. I'm glad my house doesn't look like this, he thought. You have a nice house, Jenny said. Sammy stared at her, but she continued. I've always liked big old houses like this. Well, it's much too big for me to keep clean, Mrs. Sheckley admitted. I have a hard enough time just taking care of myself and Dragon. She looked around her, blinking behind her thick glasses. But this is home for me. Always has been, she said brightly. I was born upstairs. Did you know that? Jenny shook her head, then shot a glance at Sammy. Mrs. Sheckley, what was your name before you got married? Jenny asked cautiously. Mrs. Sheckley put her spatula down by the frying pan and turned toward the kids. Why, don't you know? she asked Jenny. I'm Sheffield Matheson's oldest child and his only daughter. Sammy's eyes grew wide. You knew Sheffield Matheson? Mrs. Sheckley chuckled. I should say so. He was both father and mother to me after my mommy died. I got married young, a big mistake, and then divorced. I stayed away from home only about six months. The rest of my life, I lived right here. Jenny spoke up. Mrs. Sheckley, you said that there was no painting. How do you know for sure? She chuckled again. Oh, I know. Believe me, the studio used to be right out there where the backyard is now. The only thing left is the cement slab that it was built on. Everything burned up. Jenny frowned. I'm not so sure. Can I look at your family Bible again? Mrs. Sheckley shrugged. Sure, you know where it is. Daddy used to say it held all the treasure we needed. Do you think there are clues there? Maybe, Jenny responded. She disappeared for a second into the living room, then returned with the big Bible. 
Were you here the night the studio burned? Sammy asked. Mrs. Sheckley nodded slowly. That was a night I will never forget. I had gone to bed early. Daddy was working late in his studio trying to finish the last of his children's dozen paintings. What they call the broken dozen now, Sammy interrupted. Mrs. Sheckley nodded. I woke up when I heard shouting and then a door slammed. Then I heard a motorcycle roar off. The only person I knew that had a motorcycle was Berkeley. That was your brother, Sammy added. Mrs. Sheckley nodded again. A few minutes later, I smelled smoke and looked out the window. The studio was in flames. I called the fire department and raced down the stairs and outside to the studio. But by that time, the fire and daddy was... Her voice choked off and paused. Sniffing, she turned away from Jenny and Sammy. But that was a long time ago. What happened to Berkeley, Jenny asked, and Sammy started getting an idea. He disappeared, Mrs. Sheckley said. The police went to question him about the fire, but never found him. I haven't seen him since. That must be pretty hard, living all these years without your mommy or daddy or brother. Mrs. Sheckley looked out the window. I wish I had a chance to talk to Berkeley, she said. Daddy was always harder on him, but I don't think Berkeley started the fire. It wasn't like him. Sammy cleared his throat. Mrs. Sheckley, several times we've seen a man hanging around here, and once over at the museum. He went on to tell her what he and Dee Dee had seen. Could that be your brother, he asked finally. Mrs. Sheckley shrugged. It could be. I haven't seen him in over 30 years. Maybe you'll see him again, Jenny said. Maybe, Mrs. Sheckley paused. I'd like that. I have so much to tell him and ask him. She flipped a couple of pancakes off the skillet and onto a waiting plate. Putting the plate in front of Sammy, she said, Better eat these while they're hot. Sammy didn't need further encouragement. He dug his fork into the steaming pancakes and stuffed them into his mouth. Jenny shuddered. Don't you want butter or syrup on them, she asked. Sammy shrugged. I walk em any away, he responded, his mouth crammed with pancake. He chewed for a moment, swallowed, then repeated himself. I like them any old way, he grinned. You said you saw this man at the museum, Mrs. Sheckley asked, placing more pancakes in front of Jenny. Sammy saw him, Jenny said, smearing butter on her pancake. We were there at the Sheffield Matheson exhibit. I'm surprised that they didn't ask you to be there. Mrs. Sheckley shrugged. They asked me, but I have too hard a time getting around. I probably couldn't see much of the art anyway. I'm pleased you kids take an interest in art. Sammy shrugged. They're planning on building a children's wing to the art museum. Jenny's mom is in charge of raising the money and asked us to help raise it. Jenny looked up at Mrs. Sheckley brightly. Do you know any way the shoebox kids could raise money? Mrs. Sheckley frowned as she thought. Are you interested in recycling things? Jenny nodded. Sure. I have several years worth of aluminum cans and newspapers in the garage, Mrs. Sheckley said. For that matter, there could be a lot of things of value in there. I haven't been able to drive for years, so I haven't moved my car. Anything could be in there. Mrs. Sheckley stepped forward and put her hands on Jenny and Sammy's shoulders. Are you interested in cleaning out my garage in exchange for whatever treasures are in there? Jenny and Sammy looked at each other and nodded. What treasures would they find in the old garage? The story you have heard today is a chapter of The Shoebox Kids, Book 5, The Broken Dozen Mystery, written by Glenn Robinson, edited and created by Jerry D. Thomas, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. 
If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. children come please let the children come children's bible journey was brought to you by 3abn australia radio and is a production of life talk radio at lifetalk.net